Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. I am David Stoker and today I am doing 10 questions with Marlisha Jones. Marlisha, there you go. Marlisha, introduce yourself really quick. My name is Marlisha Jones and I currently am employed by SRCC. I have been in long-term recovery and I'm here for this and it's going to be awesome. All righty then. (laughs) So for those of you who have not done a uh, 10 questions, listen to a 10 questions podcast, I'll explain the questions to you really quick. I reached out to all my friends on Facebook and then sent out uh, something to everybody on our mailing list saying, hey, if you could talk to somebody in recovery, what are the questions you would want to hear them answer? I compiled all of those. There was a, I don't know, it was a buttload of measurement. There was a lot of them. How about that? There was Mm -hmm. a lot of them. And uh, then I created a poll and we sent it back out to everybody. And these are the top 10 questions People said that they would want to hear answered by a person in recovery. No pressure, huh? Nope. So you ready, Marlisha? <laughs> Let's go. All righty then. Question number one. Um, why did you start using to begin with? The reason why I started using because it made me... I didn't think about what I went through, and I got to be around people, and I thought that they were my friends. I thought it built a little family, and I got to run away. I had a lot of trauma, and it helped me deal with it. And that's the reason why I started to begin with, and then it became lucrative, so I didn't want to stop. So you said you had trauma, and that's why you started using to begin with. For somebody with trauma, what, is, what does drug use do? It makes you not think about it anymore. It's an escape. And so, like, when you used to have nightmares at night about, like, you know, if you went through, like, molestation or physical abuse and stuff like that and it bothered you at night, you could escape and you just didn't think about any of that and you got to have fun. Yeah, it's almost like Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Like, when I sleep, I have dreams. So how about if I just don't sleep? Then it's totally That fine. way I don't have to have the nightmares and night terrors. Yeah. Pretty cool. One, no, two, no. Freddy's coming for you. <laughs> Three, four, better lock. Anyway, um, so question number two, what made you decide to stop using? Well, that day was, I had been on the run with my kid and I had Janae, my daughter, she just turned 18. And at the time she was like five years old and we were running. I had the feds kicking my door and I was popping in from different place to different place, different place, just trying to outsmart them because of course I thought I was smarter than them. Yeah, I really thought I was. So um, at one point, it came to the time where my daughter looked at me. She said, Mommy, I want my mommy back. And I'm like, I'm right here. She said, No, I want my mommy back. And I was like, You know what I have to do to give that to you? And like in that moment, I really stopped and like made me think, What are you doing? Your child, you're dragging her all these different places and putting her at risk in all these different areas. But what are you doing this for? And so I went back to a place where I knew they were watching me and I just sat down, parked up, and I waited for them to come get me. And then after that, I decided that. I was going to give my daughter the life that she deserved and I was going to give myself the life that I deserved. 
and it didn't matter if I was going to spend years in prison or if, you know, I was going to get help one way or another. So did you have family members that would have taken care of your daughter if that would have happened? I mean, were you planning ahead and thinking, uh-oh, what happens if I do go to prison? Well, it was like she was with her dad, but her dad was using, but her her dad's parents weren't. And so she spent a lot of time with her dad's parents. So either way, she would have that support, even though her dad was out running the streets as well. Okay. Running and gunning. Man, yeah. I do not miss those days. I, I tell people sometimes when they're out running and gunning, I'm mm-hmm. like, you realize... And I never thought about it back then, but like I have to be perfect every time. Mm-hmm. And the police, I mean, the cops only got to be good once. Yeah, it's exhausting. I mean, they can get lucky once. Yeah, you it, know, it's exhausting. So you're you're basically fighting a losing battle. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you're out running and gunning. Now that doesn't mean that uh, uh, you know I'll talk say I believe that uh, we should make a lot of steps. Uh, like uh, syringe access, uh, even looking at comprehensive user engagement sites. Yeah. Uh, decriminalizing drugs i think there's a lot of things because now as we look at it it's almost uh well there's so many racist policies and i don't mean now because it's been that way i mean almost back since like the harrison act and some of those things like back in late 1800s early 1900s where we made opium illegal because there was that fear that white women were gonna smoke opium and then sleep with the oriental men (laughs) and then we made marijuana illegal because uh a the paper industry and b we there was this fear or at least i've heard the paper industry but i know the one main one was there was this fear that white women were gonna smoke weed and sleep with black men so oh man couldn't have that can't have that now so (laughs) i i mean that was always you know a lot of our policy has come out of very racist beliefs you yeah. know, so decre- so there is, you know, definitely if you look at the criminal justice system mm-hmm. and you look at, you know, like I talk about me, I have, for somebody who has quite a, a lot of Cherokee in them, I, I have very little melanin in my uh, skin. Mm-hmm. And like back in the day when I was running and gunning, we found out that if I cut my hair, because I was a singer when I was a kid in a hair band cover band. But if I cut my hair and mm-hmm. didn't have visible tattoos, then I could run drugs and not get pulled over yeah. because a lot of my friends couldn't change the color of their skin yeah. to not get pulled over more. Yeah. Right? And another thing that I really bothers me is that there's a lot of reason why we should decriminalize it because most people that use drugs to begin with come from a place, like a middle condition, or they have, you know, or they have a lot of trauma. So it's like we're... We're going back and we're repunishing someone instead of getting them the help that they need. So putting someone in a jail cell that's had trauma because they use does not help their trauma. It doesn't really? help their problem. No, prison and jail are not traumatizing no, at all. No, they're, they're, they're not. safe spaces. They're really. safe and you know they just come out different because they spent their time. Like let, let's like let's like taking your kid and putting them in the corner and not telling them why. You know it's like it's like it's like it's ridiculous. If we really think about it, we need to fix the system because well, it's broken. Actually, it's more like taking your kid who dro- just dropped an f bomb and putting him in a one percenter motorcycle club and saying hey i'm gonna have you come over here for a couple years and this will make you better yeah that's kind of what putting uh somebody in prison is like uh whenever we put them in there for crimes that aren't crimes against other people Mm -hmm. like substance use and a lot of those things because like you said a lot of times substance use is actually it's a solution it's a secondary problem and we have to address the primary problem, which a lot of times is trauma, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and those things. And if we don't treat those, then people are always going to have their mental health yeah. things re- uh, reactivated yep. by something and then go back to escaping. So so what does recovery mean to you, Marlisha? Recovery means 
it means life to me because I didn't get to live it before. When I was running and I was in an abusive situation and then I went and I was going and running the streets and doing all that stuff, I didn't really get to live in like, I didn't have, it's like, it's life. I get to grow up and I get to, I got to see my daughter grow up. That's what recovery is. I got to see her, I, I'm seeing her walk in things that I've never walked in. You know, I, I got, to, I've gotten married and, you know, I have two bonus kids and, you know, I have a job that I love and I have purpose. And so recovery is life because I didn't have it until I found it. Can I ask what a bonus kid is? That's a new one to me. I haven't heard that expression. (laughs) So um, I've had my, I've had custody of my sister um, since she was eight months old and she's now eight years old. And um, my, my father is still out using drugs and we have the same father. And so I've had her all the time. And then when me and my husband got married, he already had a little girl. Her name is Stoney. So I get to be a bonus mom for her. So I got two bonus kids. I've only given birth to one. And, um, it's just pretty awesome. And it's better when you have two little girls the same age than having one because one will drive you mad and crazy because they ask 15 million questions every 15 minutes. And I really had to get used to having a baby in the house because I ran the streets during most of Janae's little kid time and then, you know, adjusting to having a child in the house and having to raise her and not having to, you know, not be out using was a whole nother situation. You know, and I don't really think about it often, but as I go, I'm going through these questions, it's really neat. As I look at these questions, none of them were, none of them were like, "How bad did it get? What yeah. was your substance use like? What was your drug of choice?" Nobody even really cared about those. Mm-hmm. Whenever we were coming up with the questions, and it's kind of like uh, we recently had a testimony workshop. Yeah. Uh, and in that testimony workshop, we talked about the fact that honestly, people are there to hear recovery. And as I look at these questions, I'm reminded. Of that very thing. Yeah. Right? Because the people that that uh, voted on these questions and came up with these questions were people in recovery, people who are actively using, and family members and allies. Wow. So, so what were the things that got you into recovery to begin with? Well... I mean, you kind of hit on it a little, but... Yeah, it's like when I walked in that and I ended up going to jail, and I was in the same jail that I had gotten released from. They're like, you're going to be back. And like, I came back and I'm like, few choice words that I will not repeat (laughs) when I walked in. But like going through that cycle and like, um, my pathway to recovery involves my walk with God. And that's what, that's what I go through. And that's what I deal with. Everybody's is different. There are multiple pathways to recovery. Not everything is the same. It's not a one shoe fits all, but this is what works for me. And while I was in jail, you know, a, a girl came into my cell after I had a really rough night and I, and I was screaming at God and like, if you're real, you show me. And I was saying a few choice words to him too. And, uh, you know, reading in my Bible, um, Psalms 118, 119 and 120 over and over and over and over. Next month, the, the next morning, this lady walks in, she's like, I'm coming here for prison and my name is Mystica Gomez and if you don't like getting up and I do devotions and if you don't like it I don't care and it was like this whole big thing so that was the beginning for me and then when I got into when she came in and everything changed and we just grew in that like as a group we came together as 29 women that's what we did we studied we prayed and we went out and like when I went to court um 
God just opened a door for me. And I ended up in rehab instead of ended up in pre- prison. I should have ended up in prison. But um, when I got there, a lady, she was just like, hey, you want to go to church? And I'm handcuffed and shackled in an orange jumpsuit. And that kind of started my whole thing. And then I started, to, like, who is this Jesus guy? Why Why do I have worth? Why should I be dealing with these things? And then we, we had our group meetings there. So, like, while I was sitting in this recovery center, I started to learn that, this is the reason why I have these problems. You know, I have these problems because of things that happened to me. And so I got, I started working on those things that happened to me, you know, and how to deal with those. And I, I got a medication that helped me deal with depression so I could walk through that. So that's kind of what led up to me walking this out. It's like, it's been continual. And that, and for me, like God being a part of my life and being consistent in my life and reading the word and studying and praying and helping other people is what continues my recovery. And so, um, and that's kind of the reason why I'm here. I've done this for, I've been in long-term recovery for 11 years. And for 10 years of that, I've just been helping other people. And that's part of my recovery. You know, seeing that light bulb come on and, and that individual's path. Like if they go to NA, AA, if they, they go to smart recovery or whatever they choose to do, you know, um, it's, it's amazing to see. Yeah. Woo. So in early recovery, like, if you could think of the one thing that helps you maintain your sobriety the most, what would it be? I think the main thing was my focus of getting Janae back full time because she lived with her dad and only got to see her the days that she was out of school. And I think that was the biggest thing that to keep my sobriety because, like, when you're in rehab, it's a lot easier to stay clean. So, what I got out and I had my own apartment and I was starting to rebuild my life without selling drugs and working a job and then being very disappointed when I got paid after all the effort I put in. And, um, that was the reason it's like, I wanted my daughter back and it took three years and I got her back full time. And she lives with me full time to today from third grade till it hits her senior year. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. She's a big kid now. She's 18. (sighs) Grown up. No, she's not grown. She's a baby. (laughs) She is a baby. (laughs) So, uh, what is the most important thing you've done for your recovery? Like to build it? It's self-care and keeping consistent in what I need. So like, I know the necessities that I have. Like, so if Marlisha doesn't go to church and Marlisha doesn't get in her word and Marlisha doesn't get in the prayer, Marlisha is not a good person. Marlisha starts to turn back and deflate back to that negative person that she was before. So those are the things you have to know yourself and keep yourself going. The things that got you into recovery, you must continue. You can't just say, oh, I've done this for this many years now. I don't need this. Oh, baby, you do need it. And you need to do it every day. So that's my thing to stay consistent, you know, and to grow. And if I, and the, and the second big, well, big, even bigger than that is to reach out when you're struggling. And so even now at 11 years in this, I struggle. I might not struggle with going out to use, but I struggle with mindsets or depression or different things like that. And if I'm not reaching out to take care of me, then I can't help anybody. You know, I won't be, you know, I won't be firing all cylinders. And like, so I know that. So the biggest thing is to know yourself and take care of yourself. Absolutely. I mean, in my opinion, like you're working on getting your certified peer specialist tra- mm-hmm. uh, cert- certification. You've gone through the training, taken your test. Mm-hmm. Now you just sent off and you're waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear back from because my felonies are not located in Missouri. So it's a little bit. I have to get them from Lyon County to sign off for my exemption for my felonies. OK. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's actually unethical not to take care, not to practice self-care and mm-hmm. take care of yourself. Absolutely. You know, I, I, that's actually an ethical violation. 
because uh, I don't know. Uh, I remember being at this huge men's thing. Uh, it's called Men's Encounter. And at the end of it, this guy's walking around. He's got a pitcher of water. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, guys, now we need to make, sh- make sure of something. And he said, we need to make sure we're helping people. So I'm going to help you. And he's walking around this huge circle of guys pouring out a little bit of water here. I'm going to help you. Pours out a little bit more there. I'm going to help you. And after helping like 20 or 30 people, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, now I need something. And it, he went to pour some out. And the, the water jug was completely empty. Yeah. You know, it's really hard, A, for us to help others if we don't fill ourselves up, like recharge our batteries. Yeah. Right? So is there one thing you have to do every day that helps you maintain your recovery? Oh, I have to be in my word every day. I have to start my day off with God. If I don't start my day off with God, you'll see a very ugly person that doesn't have patience, that is like completely outside of my characteristics. So like coming into recovery, I took a, it was a complete, I, a complete flip, like night and day, of who I was out in the streets to who I am now. And if I don't start my day off like that, if I don't start my day off on a positive and pouring back and say, okay, what scripture is this? Or those are the things I have to do every day. Um, or you won't like, you'll have Marlisha from the hood, not Marlisha from the church. And you want Marlisha from the church. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as somebody that's both. I always say um, to recovery for the Jesus people and to Jesus for the recovery people. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I have two big books, (laughs) right? So, yeah, I feel what you're saying. Yeah. Um, What is it that keeps you from going back to those old behaviors? There's nothing. There's nothing that would make me want to reach back. I love the life that I live now. And anything that I go through and I struggle with in comparison to what I experienced before I would never reach back for it. There's there's nothing that it has to offer me. And that and that's the biggest thing. There's nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. Blah. No. Not even the money. It's like it's like it's not worth it. I used to call it monopoly money. <laughs> because, you know, like Comet, here they have a multi jurisdictional mm. uh task force and I get raided by Comet, they take all my stuff and then I'd build it back. Or yeah. I'd go to jail mm-hmm. or prison and get out and have to rebuild everything. Because it's amazing how quickly your house gets cleared out when people know that you're locked up. <laughs> all those good friends that, you know, you let crash on your couch or like, hey, I heard David's in jail. Oh my God, that's horrible. I got to go. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> what happened? Oh my goodness. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, man, I've been gone for a while. And why are you wearing my leather jacket? <laughs> oh, no. I got that was this. in my closet. I, oh, no, I got this one. I, I, I got it. I bought it just two weeks ago. I got the receipt. Whatever. Yeah. I remember I was like, uh,. <laughs> That green, white, and black jacket with the eight ball in the back, I had that specially made. <laughs> There's not another one like that. Anyway, now I'm getting back into, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing how quickly we lose our friends. I There's a Rascal Flatts song called Moving On. Mm-hmm. And have you ever heard it? No, I like, I'm terrible at names, so I probably have because okay. I like Rascal Flatts. Well, in that song, he says something that's always stood out in my mind. He's talking about friends. And he's talking about having to leave. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, uh, so he's packed up and he's leaving. Um, and, you know, and one of the lines in there says, uh, uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, basically says, they mean me no harm, but they'll never allow me to change. Mm. And I really like that, you know, because 
Because my friends don't want me dead. Mm-mm. But you know what? I was a lot funner when I was knucklehead David. Yeah. Who somebody would mouth off at a bar and I'd turn around and punch <laughs> them. Or I was out doing all the same crazy stuff they were as opposed to somebody who's, you know, completely turned my life around. Yeah. Because now I'm not as fun anymore because I talk to people now instead mm-hmm. of reacting physically whenever I don't get along. Yeah. and. And I won't take their fights for them and step in and, you know, I'm like, hey, dear, that's cool. You're on your own. Yep. So, so what is it that keeps you from going back to those old behaviors? Yeah, it's just my life now. My kids. Everything that I've built. Oh, like, I guess I asked you that. Yeah, yeah go ahead. But like, my Expand rep- on it. Man, I got yeah. lost. I started talking all kinds of smack. and. But, like, my reputation. You know what I mean? Like, I built a reputation. I built one before and I had to I had to rebuild it because I was still Marlisha that was out on dope, Marlisha that was solid dope, Marlisha was doing all these things, Marlisha that was a felon, Marlisha that was gonna come in and kick somebody's door in, Marlisha was out of control. And like when people think of me now, they don't see that. And it's amazing. Like I remember the first time like I started a business is people gave me codes to their house. I'm like, wow. And they weren't there and it was like wow, somebody wants to give me keys? Right. You know, like, no one would have ever gave me their keys before. Especially just in some, like, $500,000 house. Ain't nobody giving the keys to that. You know, like, so building that reputation. And, and I remember the first time my daughter called me a godly woman. You know, like, there's nothing that could go back. Like, the way that she's she looks at me compared to the way that she looked at me that day when she told me she wanted her mommy back, there's nothing worth that. Yeah. And your daughter is kind of... She's kind of naive, which is really cool, (laughs) you know. Even though you're out running and gunning when she was young, I mean, she's pretty stinking innocent. She is. She's very innocent. And, and like, that's that's grateful. That's something I prayed for, you know, like... You know, yesterday when she was talking about, um, she seen a cocaine exchange and she needed to go to Narcan training and the cocaine was, you know... It was grainy, like things like that. Like she has no idea what she's talking about, you know. And like I love the fact that she doesn't. It gives me like I literally laugh at it because there's no way that she she doesn't. That's how far it's come from me doing all that stuff to her being this person, right? You know, that's what like changing your life at any point. It, it like recovery affects your entire family, just like when you're out and substance use, it affects your entire family. So to have that and have her come out of her like that, yeah, I love for her to be naive and she's innocent and she just likes her pigs and to sit at the house and eat food. Yeah, and by that, they have pigs and she claims that they're pot belly pigs, but one of them's like a couple hundred pounds. Uh, that is not pot belly yeah, pig. Yeah, it is. He's no. 450 pounds and his name is Hammy and he is a pot belly pig and Ollie is 250 pounds. You don't have a 450 pound pot belly. No. Yes, it is. And then we have. Anyway, Melody. there's a zoologist listening to this. <laughs> Man, hit me up and let me know if she's telling the truth because I just don't. I think a little bitty pot belly, like like mini pigs. But he's hungry. He eats not all not the time. once. And I'm like, look at that bacon. Mm. That's a lot of bacon. <sighs> Stop talking. Love bacon. <laughs> Love bacon. Anyway, um, things I've never said. Hey, that's too much bacon on that sandwich. Anyway, um, things I've never said. Hey, could you not wrap that in bacon? Uh, they So they talk about the gifts of recovery, and you've already kind of touched on it, but, man, name some of the positive things that have changed in your life since uh, you stepped into recovery. Um, I don't have to. I can take a, a UA and not worry about it <laughs> or stress about going back to jail. 
Um, if I get pulled over, and I know that I'm not going to have to go to jail. Let's see. Um, <laughs> and then I know that my daughter looks at me and knows that I'm the person I am today. And she I get to represent She has a role that. model and it's you and you're okay with that. Yeah, cool it's totally that? cool. You know, so like there's so many things and like family, like I've been able to, you know, talk some to some of my other, my siblings that are now in recovery that weren't before. And like those things are gifts. Watching them come and walk through and start their, their journey is literally amazing. And so like I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of watching other people that come in, learn their worth and their value and help them walk through situations. It's like, it's just like, Everything that I went through, I get to use on a daily basis. Well, that almost leads into our uh, next question, our 10th and final question. Um, yeah, that was a really weak drum roll. I have yeah. no rhythm. No <laughs> rhythm. I, yeah. If you could travel back in time and talk to yourself the day before you use, what would you say to yourself? The thing is, though, I wouldn't go back. I know as crazy as that will sound, but everything that I endured created the person I am today. So if I went back and changed anything, I wouldn't be me. And that's that's what I look at. It's like, I want to be the person I am. And as bad as those times were and where they took me and the things I had to endure, it built me. So I'm good. Like, I would just skip that. Like, hey, you want time travel? No, I'm good. I would just walk away. I've been finalizing this every time I talk to somebody. Uh, I have done the last couple of uh, podcasts, and I think I finally figured out the shirt. On the front, it's going to say, no regrets. Regrets. <laughs> and on the back, it's going to say, I regret nothing because I have I love the life I have today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to talk briefly, a couple clo- uh, closing thought, and then I'm going to turn it over to Marlisha, and she's going to leave you with a word of wisdom. So, uh, let's see. My parting shot is, uh, man, you know what? Be proud of who you are and where you're at. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by all means, if you want things to change in your life, please reach out. There are a lot of people in your life uh, who can help you. Um, Worst case scenario, reach out to like betterlifeandrecovery.com, david at betterlifeandrecovery.com, the Springfield Recovery Community Mm -hmm. Center. um, Hop on Facebook or Twitter and send us a message or a DM, but in all honesty, uh, it doesn't matter where you're at. We're here to help people in any way we possibly can. So just know that, man, you know what? If you got out of bed today, if you woke up this morning, I don't care if you stayed in bed all day and didn't shower. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm proud of the fact that you were here. That's right. And I want you to know that even though I may not know you, you know what? Uh, Man, I want the best for you. Um, I would say I love you, but honestly, I like you. (laughs) Man, you know what? There is nothing you put your mind to that you can't do. And please, if you're still out there actively using, uh, man, don't ever use by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, don't ever use behind a locked door. That's right. Uh, make sure that you're, uh, using clean utensils and not sharing them, whether that's spoon, cotton, syringe, or straws and razor blades and mirrors, right? Try not to share those things, uh, because you can, there's always a small chance that you can, uh, transmit, um, hep C, uh, with syringes. There's a chance of HIV, 
Same thing with sex. Don't have unprotected sex. Uh, rotate your injection sites. If you're shooting up, uh, mm -hmm. don't share those needles. Hopefully there's a syringe access place near you where you can get sterile syringes. Um, and, uh, man, if you're getting a new batch, you know what? Give yourself a taste. You can never go back and do more. You can always, uh, you can never go back and do less. You can always go back and do more. That's right. And, uh, like places like, uh, Springfield Recovery Community Center, if they have them, get some fentanyl test strips. You can pick those up for free from us and from, yep. uh, harm reduction places all across the country. Uh, because not only, you know, are we finding it in opioids, but we're also finding it, starting to see it in the supply of methamphetamine and cocaine. Mm. And if you're using meth or cocaine, you may be, you may be opioid naive. Yeah. And the last thing that I would want was for you to overdose and die. That's right. right. Because, because everybody deserves to have a, a long and happy life. Marlish, mm. any parting words? When you're out and about and you see someone that's in active use, I challenge you not to look down on them. And I know there's a lot of this. We're in the Bible Belt, and I'm speaking directly to people that call themselves believers. When you look at that individual, know that they still have worth and God still has a plan for their life. And I want you to ask yourself, why does the enemy fight so hard to keep them bound? And what is it that they have to offer that he doesn't want them to give? So much can change with just a smile. So much can change with just saying... Asking them, how are you? Or providing food or being there in some way, shape, or form. They don't need another person to look down on them. They don't need another person to call them out because they know everyone that's out in active use knows they have an issue. You don't need to regurgitate that. Can we just react in love? Because everybody here is created for a purpose. Everyone, the person, the attic on the street, the person that's still running down and that's homeless because they have a mental, a mental issue that no one has diagnosed. Choose love in all situations. Choose love because that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and man, now you got me. I was going to be dumb, but now I got to piggyback on that really <laughs> quick and just say, you know, uh, to the faith community, and, uh, I, I would piggyback on what she said and say, you know, if you think you're going to walk your butt into heaven, even though you're telling white lies or not having one piece of pie, but eating the whole dang pie, uh, just know that you're going to be el rubbing elbows with people that were shooting heroin. That's right. That died and still went to heaven. Yeah. You know, I don't believe drug use keeps people out of heaven. Sorry. Um, and if you do, then that may be what keeps you out of heaven. Hmm. So anyway, I hope y'all have a great day. I know I went off on a little faith-based bend there at the end. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. Like she said, there's multiple pathways to recovery. Faith right. is one of them. Uh, harm reduction is one of them. Harm That's reduction right. is a form of recovery. So ha ha. <laughs> Love you guys. Have an amazing week. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thank you very much, Marlisha, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Peace. <laughs> In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.
Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak.